0: Welcome to Restoration Road Online. We hope you enjoy this week's message.
1: I'm just going to read the word of God we're going to learn from today. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to the tenants. And went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So guys, we have the pleasure today from hearing of hearing from one of our pastoral interns okay God has blessed us with some young leaders and you have heard them some of them you heard Jordan and we'll hear from a pastoral candidate sometime next next few weeks too and what my prayer is for Restoration Road is that we're able to multiply pastors we were able to raise up young men and preachers and older men and middle aged men, whoever's called by his name to pastor and shepherd God's people, that we would be a training ground for future leaders and pastors who would give their life to care for Jesus' flock. And so you'll see some of these young men over the summer here and there preaching. And I want to ask you just to be for them. And I know many of you are. Be for them. Let's. I said this to the team this morning, and not that any of you are doing this, I just want to put this into our heart as a church. Let's put any critical spirit aside when it comes to, oh, I want this preacher or that preacher. Let's say I want more preachers. And we'll let them struggle, we'll let them grow, we'll let them have a good week and a bad week, but we need more disciples, we need more churches, we need more pastors. Let's be a place that fosters growth. And that gives the grace. And I think Josh is going to preach great. Don't think I'm setting him up like he's going to be horrible. It's like, you know, I'm not, yeah, I think Josh is going to be great. But part of my vision in the heart that God's given me personally, if I could say this for a moment, is part of my calling is to raise up men to pastor and plant churches by his grace, however the Holy Spirit leads and so you will see in summer seasons and different seasons, we're going to uh, give space and a place for these men to grow and preach. So if you're encouraged by anything today or in future weeks when someone preaches, will you go up and let them know? Would you pray for these men? Would you encourage them? And watch what God will do through a church like ours that loves and is humble and gives space for that. He'll do wonderful things beyond Anything we could ever ask for. So, with all that said, we want to invite Josh up here if you could give him a hand clap.
0: There we go. Good morning, Restoration Road. Uh, if you don't know me, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting face to face yet, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm a pastoral intern, and frequently, more than not, you can catch me in the sound booth doing AV with Trevor. I want to thank Pastor Joey very much for this opportunity to share the word this morning, and I want to thank all my friends and family who have been praying with me this past week in preparation. When spending my time studying for this message, there are two things that almost all scholars agree upon. First, it's that not all parables are meant to be allegories. Not everything in a parable, every detail, has its in-depth, hidden meaning. It's not all allegory. It's not all the pilgrim's progress. But with exception, this parable is intended to be allegory. Second, it's that this is a very simple message. It's a very simple allegory, meaning that when Jesus was speaking to his audience, they understood everything he said in plain English. While it may be a hidden meaning behind some terms, it's not secret, it's not anything that they would not have recognized immediately as he was saying it. And I want to ask for your grace this morning as this will be a little bit heavier of a message. Have you ever had your mail read? Have you ever felt exposed by someone in a conversation as if they had seen a glimpse into your heart and thoughts And they called you out on it. I know I have. I've had my mail read. It actually was earlier this summer. I was in a very angry place with work and with life. I have a wedding come up, so I'm frustrated, and finances are stressful. And people were just making me angry. And it turned into, you're allowed to be frustrated, and you're allowed to voice your opinions and your frustrations, and it's allowed to cause some tension but one of my good friends my former roommate called me out and he said you're using the guise of venting to me as to cover up your sin of anger because now you've gone into the place where you're targeting this person and name calling them and saying things about them and saying things that are not kind and not uplifting as a brother and sister in Christ you are sinning in your anger in this moment and I, I had to sit back and humbly assess myself that night because he's texting me and I'm like, no, now I'm angry at you. What are you talking about? I have every right to vent about my frustrations. I, th- I think I'm valid in my feelings. But I, pray, I, I said goodnight to him via text and I, I went to bed that night and I woke up and I realized I was wrong. He was right. I, I was using my anger and my frustration to, to, to guise my sin as venting. And I went up to his office the next morning and I just apologized and we, we made things right and I just hugged him and embraced him as a brother in Christ. I believe there's a few things that God would have me share with you in our time together. The journey we're gonna take this morning is, is gonna be fairly quick, but we're gonna take a look at the four ways I believe Jesus was being prophetic in this passage. And then we're speci- specifically gonna be looking at two things that allow us to respond practically to those. To give us some quick context to the conversation in Luke twenty one day Jesus is in the temple teaching and preaching and the scribes and Pharisees challenge him. They challenge Jesus and say, by what authority is it that you're preaching this gospel message? By whose authority do you stand here and preach? And like many times he does throughout the gospels, Jesus turns to them and responds with another question. He says, well, By whose authority did John the Baptist preach? And they kind of turn around into the little corner and they huddle together and they can't decide because it's like, well, if we say he's from God, then he's gonna say we were wrong for having him killed by Herod and why did we not embrace him? And so they turn around to Jesus and say, we don't know. And Jesus responds, well, then neither will I tell you by what power and authority I do these things. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, random, close to you, or even with someone that you hate? With absolute certainty and audacity, read your mail. They just knew everything. It's like taking a maglite to the eyes in the dead of night. You feel exposed. You feel targeted. You feel caught off guard. And that's how I think the scribes and Pharisees felt as Jesus was preaching this parable, The first way I think Jesus is speaking prophetically in this passage is that he was very intentionally referencing the history of the nation of Israel while calling out the historic failures of the religious leaders throughout the generations. In the parable, the owner leaves his vineyard in the hands of some caretakers whom he had called and placed in that position. Looking back to the Old Testament and the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, he very often used the term vineyard, especially when referring to the nation of Israel. Through some deeper study and the logical conclusion then becomes that the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests are the caretakers of the vineyard. Jesus is very specifically pointing them out as these are the ones who I left in charge of my vineyard. Jesus is in the temple proclaiming the failure of the religious leaders to bring the people back to God And instead, they continued on in the self-righteousness of the nation that they had failed at their purpose. Despite God the Father, the creator and owner of the vineyard, sending the nation of Israel countless judges, countless prophets to proclaim the word of God and lead them back to righteousness, every single time the prophets and judges would come, things would be good for a while, the nation would prosper, God would bless them, and then something in the nation went wrong and they would immediately turn back to their idols. This would go on for thirteen to 1,500 years. They failed to take care of the vineyard that was entrusted to them. But how exactly did these religious leaders fail? Well, sin was allowed to flourish without consequence. They stole, they murdered, they committed adultery. They turned the temple into a den of thieves and a market and in place of a st- instead of a place for worship. And God says in o Hosea 6, 6 for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And what he's saying there in Hosea is that you've turned my law and my system of forgiveness into a way to show your self-righteousness. You've forgotten the love and the compassion that's meant to come with the law. The sacrificial system wasn't designed to create us as righteousness. It was to take the place of our unrighteousness and our wickedness and allow us to go before the throne of God. And so, what Jesus is saying is that you have murdered, you have stolen, you've persecuted the people that I sent you to save and to care for. You are torturing and taking from the widows and orphans. Instead of giving all that you have, you are taking it for yourself. They chose religion over living and loving the God of the gospel. If the God the Father is the owner and the religious leaders are the caretakers, we can label the prophets as the messengers and obviously label Jesus as the Son. The second way Jesus was being prophetic was that he was prophesying his coming death. Multiple times throughout all of the Gospels, he prophesies about his death. But this is one of the few times that while he's talking about his death, at the same time, he's also connecting himself to God the Father, He's saying very loudly, I am the Son of God. I am the rejected Messiah who has come to save you. He's taking a very bold claim to say, I am the Son of God. To follow this up, the third thing that he prophesies about is the final judgment. Jeremiah and Jesus both prophesy in agreement that one day the owner of the vineyard, God the Father, would come and he would punish the wickedness that was allowed in his land. Now, I would like to sit on this last point for the remainder, of most of our remaining time. The fourth thing that Jesus prophesies about was the current state of the heart of his people. Pastor Joy preached on matters of the heart a few weeks ago when he preached on the parable of Sower. The... a really sobering question I have to ask myself is am I allowing God to read my mail? Are we allowing Jesus to read our mail? Have we listened to the messengers inside sent to us along the way or are we just going to continue until the final day when we stand before God in all of his glory? Jesus through this parable is showing the natural disposition of man to reject him despite being given all opportunity, time, and intervention. This is known as the doctrine of total depravity. Paul talks about this all through his letters, but especially in Ephesians and Romans, about how before experiencing the grace of God and his immeasurable love towards us on the cross, that we were lost in our trespasses, dead in our sins, scum of the earth, wicked, deceitful, slaves to our fleshly desires, and condemned to death, according to the law of God. But, because of Jesus' actions on the cross, we have access to the merciful love of an eternal God. All of mankind since the fall in the garden bears a natural disposition to reject God, reject Jesus' sacrifice, reject the grace that is so freely given to us. There's two practical questions that this conversation brings up. And it's, how do we allow God to read our mail? And how do we live in light of what is revealed in our mail? I think the keys to both of these questions is to remain humble. I think most of us understand what it means to be humble, but I think, and I even think that having our mail read is a very humbling experience. But practically, how can we re- remain humble in the presence of a holy and a righteous God? I think proper humility comes with a healthy balance of self-denial and self-worth. We have to recognize as believers that while we are wicked and sinful without God, once we are of God, our identity and our worth are defined through him and how much we are loved and valued by him and given purpose, not because of who we are and what we've done. Humility is accepting that we are nothing without God And because of God, he has made us in his image and his likeness to bear his light to a lost and dying world. We allow God to read our mail through remaining humble while at the same time remaining in him. His word, his presence, and his people. Regular and consistent relationship with him should look like a relationship with a spouse. Now, I'm only getting married in 25 days, so I by no means claim to be an expert on marriage. But what I do know is that over and over again, God and Jesus himself relate the church and God as a husband and a wife. That Christ is the bride of the church. So there is an allegory, there is a a meaning here in how they're connected. There are three things that are vital to any relationship. This is whether you're dating, this is whether you're engaged, this is whether you're married or single. It doesn't matter. Any relationship with another human being requires the, these three things. It's time, it's effort, and it's communication. Now, all that can be summed up in love, but I'm not going to preach a corny message on love. So, time, effort, and communication. We are to be intimate with God like that of our spouses. We are to love and cherish them in every season of life. What do you say in your vow to your your husband and wife? For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Every season of life. We are to be dedicated to God as if we were married. We are to lay our lives down for him as we would lay our lives down for our spouse. We are to communicate and confide in him because where there is no healthy communication in a relationship, it gets pretty frustrating. Now, I've been dating my fiance for about three years, and the greater majority of that has been long distance. And I can tell you firsthand, communication is frustrating. It's hard when you're not with a person every day for the communication and for the relationship to thrive. You have to be very intentional, set that time apart each and every day to communicate, to confide in, to build each other up, to love one another, and encourage each other in the things of God and just the things of life. Life is hard. Communication makes it a lot less uncomfortable when you're constantly communicating with another person how you feel and they are able to build you up. Devoting time is necessary in a relationship. It is necessary, or it'll struggle, and it may even fail. You have to have community accountability to each other, to God. And that's why Sunday is important, it's why small groups are important. Having two or more people that you can even just call and confide in. I know I ha- when, I- when I'm going through a rough, se- rough season of life, I have three people that I call. One's my mom, because can't not call your mom when you're going through a rough time, right? But those other two people are Trevor and my roommate Gilbert that I mentioned previously. Because I know that if I go to them and say, hey, I'm having a rough time, I'm struggling with this, they're going to call me out on it. They're going to pat me on the back and make me feel better, but they're going to say, get up and get to work. And to use small groups as an example, I love our Wednesday night small group that we have. Because I know every Wednesday night, when if I'm having a rough week, I can sit around that campfire at the Gore's house and me, Matt, Trevor, Jordan, and Joe can all sit together and build each other up and confide in one another, but also build each other up and challenge each other. Just la- last time, the week before, whatever it was, I admitted to struggling with a lot of frustrating things going on in my life. And the first thing that popped up wasn't well, I'm really sorry you feel that way. It was, well, how's this going in your life? How's your prayer time? How's your time in the word? The, it should always be a challenge. It should always be something to build you up. And that is the beautiful thing about remaining in community with God is that you are challenged and encouraged to grow. Moving on, what does it mean to live in light of what is revealed in our mail? You really have to be humble for this part. You may have to repent of being in the wrong. You may have to repent of being wrong simply in opinion or of sin. Ask for forgiveness and work towards changing for the better. Another way to live humbly in what is revealed in light of our mail is to live generously. We talk about this all the time here at Restoration Road being generous with our time, our money, our resources. Being intentionally generous is a key to remaining humble and a steward with what God has given us. Living the gospel in light of our open mail means to share the gospel of grace with anyone who would open that door to us. If our first response is not how to impact those around us, for them to experience the same grace that we experience, then we have missed the mission of the church. If you're anything like me, and this may be exclusively me because I'm a Bible college student, but if you, if you have the time and you're interested in reading deeper into theology and ministers of the past, I would encourage you to go listen to a sermon, or read a sermon rather, by Jonathan Edwards. He was a preacher from the mid to late 1700s in New England and he was a fantastic preacher and most of his this message, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Most of this message is, in, is attacking the wickedness and attacking the self righteousness of man. It's saying that without God's hand intervening in our life, the world would not bear with us one moment, for that's how wicked we are. Because we reject Him, the world will reject us. Restoration Road. Will you let God read your mail? Do we want God to read our mail this is the first question we should ask. I would say at some level, past, present, or future, we all have mail that we're ashamed of. Mail that we maybe want to discard and hide in the back of a closet so no one ever finds out. But when we try to hide our mail, instead of just letting God read it, all it does is bring us shame and bring us guilt, pain, and anxiety. Another beautiful quote from Jonathan Edwards says, You, meaning you, me, all of us, contribute nothing to our salvation but the sin that made it necessary. I would encourage you to look to the cross. Let the cross of Jesus Christ read your mail and set you free. Let him free you of the guilt and shame that you try to hide. Remain in him through intimate relationship, repent, and be humble. And look to the work of the cross where God saves us, redeems us, and restores us into the workers of his vineyards that we were meant to be. God the Father is the creator and owner, the church is the vineyard, and we are the tenants. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, there is nothing but grace. Yes, we, we see our sins nailed to Jesus Christ. We see the blood on the cross and we see that we are wicked, but he offers that grace to us as a free gift. He calls us to be the tenants in the vineyard. Let God redeem you and restore you. I pray that today you're reminded of his wonderful grace, his rich mercy, and the freedom that comes with allowing God to read your mail. I hope you guys have a blessed rest of your day.
1: So anytime the music team wants to come up here, you can join me. I'll go. I'll I'll get behind that piano and play the wrong chord. I'll do it. Thank you so much, Josh. I just want to pray to close that message for a moment. If you allow me, just to pray for one moment, Heavenly Father. Part of your compassion is that. You read our mail in order to take away our guilt, shame, and torment. For those who are in here, who are believing a lie that they need to hide from their sin and not bring it before you, I pray that you would set them free by the power of your gospel. Lord, teach us more and more the beauty of that gospel. It's not what we have done that saves us. It's what you have done. And the cross, your cross, absolutely exposes us, Lord. Some in here, Father, may feel tormented by past sins or present sins or future sins. They know they're going to walk in this week. Would you free them from the power of sin? Would you defeat the lies of the enemy that they hold on to? in which they believe, maybe I can never stop doing this, Lord. Please, Jesus, let your truth set them free. Those online, in person, I pray for freedom psychologically. I pray for strongholds to be broken on even those who are suicidal, Lord. By your blood, Jesus, you have conquered the power of Satan, You have defeated the power of sin. You have given us life and defeated the power of death. Jesus, you have stomped on the head of Satan, and we believe that. Let darkness be gone in many people's life who hold on to their sins, and may they be set free by your power, Jesus. Today, we pray that with all our heart, and we trust you to hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon at Restoration Road. We hope it blessed you and invite you to join us for next service at 10 a.m. on Sunday. God bless.